Well, happy Sunday to you. Hopefully you are doing well. For those watching and listening online, we want to say thank you for taking the time to do that. We want to just take a pause and we want to think about and reflect on giving thanks. And we're going to talk about today the curious case of thanks. Um, detailed in their book, The Hiding Place, the barracks where Carrie Tim Boom and her sister Betsy were kept in the Nazi concentration camp of Ravensbrück were terribly overcrowded and flea infested. They had been able to miraculously smuggle a Bible into the camp. As they read the Bible, they came across Paul's message that in all things they were to give thanks and that God can use anything for good. So Betsy decided that meant thanking God for the fleas. Well, Corey wasn't buying that. She was thinking, thanking God for the, for the fleas, those are painful nuisances. There's no way we, be, we should be thanking God for these pests. Betsy insisted, Corey, we want you to thank God. You need to join me in thanking God for the fleas. We'll circle back to that story in a bit. In the meantime, let's think for a moment. There are not a lot of us thinking like Betsy. I mean, we're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find anyone thinking like Betsy. Our culture does not think like Betsy. Our culture has grown into entitlement. And entitlement could be defined as an unrealistic, unmerited or inappropriate expectation of favorable living conditions, favorable treatment at the hands of others. In other words, I expect my parents, boss, spouse, business, government, church to deliver for me no matter the cost. Here are some signs of entitlement that we may see in others, and if we're honest, we may see in ourselves. Everything isn't enough. We're looking for the next best thing. We're not content. We're we're, we're looking for the next best thing to fill us, to satisfy us. We shift blame to others. Unable to handle failure or disappointment. Rules do not apply. Obey only when there is a reward. Expecting people to bail us out. Only thinking how it affects them. How about our kids, right? <laughs> they begin to whine when the TV or electronic goes off. Uh, when parents say no during shopping. Have you ever experienced this? Your, your, your child becomes limp. They're in the middle of the store, in the aisle. Like you, they, you, they, you're dragging them out, and they're screaming, and they're yelling. Like, what is going on with them? It's entitlement. You ever, like, I think we notice this with kids that are coming from an over-parenting, over-protecting, over-pampering, over-praising, and over-paying culture. And we do that to meet our kids' endless demands. And here's the result. The result of wanting our kids to be so happy is that we unintentionally remove things that cause them to fail. And so when things are hard, when they're having to work at something, They want to quit because things are not easy. Things are not going the way they want them to go. Our kids are expecting things without having to work or without even having to ask for it. It just shows up. So what if Betsy was onto something? What if the focus of our thanks is on the things that have made our lives better? What if there is more to being thankful? What if there's more to being thankful? According to Amy Morin, writing for Forbes, research has shown gratitude not only reduces stress, 
but it may also play a major role in overcoming trauma. She, re she refers to two studies, one in 2003 and one in 2006. A 2006 study published in Behavior Research and Therapy found that the Vietnam veterans with higher levels of gratitude experienced lower rates of PTSD. A 2003 study published in the journal Personality and Social Psychology found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terrorist attacks on September 11th. She writes, recognizing all you have to be thankful for even during the worst times of your life fosters resilience. So what if God has given you and me what we've been asking for, but we don't see it because it's not what we had in mind? He's providing us what we need. He's even providing what we're asking for, but we don't, we don't like it because it's not what we had in mind. See, what is keeping us from thanking God for situations that deepen our faith and our dependence on him? Luke writes in his biography of Jesus about a curious case of things that involved 10 men with a disease. Nine men prayed and were healed, while one man prayed, was healed, and went back to thank the healer. So, why did only one come back to give thanks to the healer? And so, re remember, Luke wasn't one of the original disciples. He's writing things down that he's, you know, he's interviewing disciples and he's interviewing maybe other eyewitnesses and he, he's putting together a biography of Jesus. So this is what he writes in Luke seventeen eleven. Now on his way to Jerusalem, speaking of Jesus, he's on his way to the Passover with the disciples. He's going to lead to his death and eventually his resurrection. And the disciples are with him, and they're expecting Jesus to go public that he's the Messiah, like this is it. Like he's already mentioned it to, to a few groups of people, but now, man, he, he's, he's going to come public that he is the Messiah. He's this king that's been prophesied about, predicted would come from the line of David. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now you'll be able to see on this map, the route that Jesus took. This is not the first time Jesus went near or around Samaria. He went in Samaria before. In John 4, uh, John records that Jesus spoke with a woman at a well, let her know who he was, and then he said, I want you to go back and tell the town that you found the Messiah. They spent a few days there, so there's really no need to go back into the heart of Samaria. So he decides to go uh, around, in and around Samaria. He is doing something that other religious leaders would not do. They would not go anywhere near Samaria because Samaritans rejected all things Jewish except for the book of Moses. A few days earlier, Jesus' disciples are rejected from a Samaritan town. And so they go back to Jesus and say, listen, is it appropriate for us to call fire down from heaven and burn that town up? I'm sure Jesus, we don't know how his facial reaction was, but his response was, no, guys, that's a bad idea. That's a terrible idea. In fact, Jesus is modeling for them. It's important for us to deal with cultural tensions. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And for us, it's a model for us to go into and deal with cultural tensions because Jesus 
is the way, He's the truth, and the life. It's a lot easier, is it not, to be like the disciples and ask God to burn up those who reject us than it is to have conversations with those who think and act differently than us. Have you ever run out of patience with someone who just wasn't getting it? It's a lot easier to isolate ourselves from those who have different standards than us than it is to engage with them. So he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. Now, there's a few things we don't know. We don't know how long they had leprosy. We don't know where they, uh, where they got it from. We don't know where they lived. Um, we don't know really much about them. All that mattered is that they had it and they were together. It's like a situation like misery loves company. Leprosy was a progressive skin disease that affected people differently. The worst cases would start with a loss of sensation in some part of the body. Nerves were affected. Muscles would waste away. Tenants would contract until hands resembled claws. Ulceration of hands and feet. Then loss of fingers and toes. It was like death by a thousand paper cuts. You die by inches over 20 to 30 years. It's a long time to be cut off from your family, your faith, and your work. The emotional toll was just as painful as the physical. One was truly left hopeless. There were those physical consequences like we talked about, but there was also social consequences. They were required to quarantine from the rest of the family and the town, which led to them moving outside of the city gates. They would wear torn clothing their head would be uncovered and they would have to shout unclean, unclean. No matter where they were, they would have to shout unclean to warn others to keep their distance so that they wouldn't be affected, which is why they are standing at a distance from Jesus. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Jesus, Master, have, have pity on us. And they knew who Jesus was. Word got around about the things that he did Raising people from the dead, making the blind see, the paralyzed are walking, the demons have been exercised. Then Jesus, they called him master or commander in chief or chief commander because they knew that he had authority over diseases. And so they asked for mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what we, not getting what we deserve. So they know and they recognized that they did not deserve Jesus' pity or compassion. There was nothing they could do to earn it. They are appealing to his mercy. And this is similar to our faith story. We appeal to his mercy to receive forgiveness of our sin. In asking him for mercy, we understand that there is nothing that we can do to earn it. And I want you to miss this. They believed in what Jesus could do before they came to Jesus. They believed in what Jesus could do before they came to Jesus. And without question, they had faith that Jesus could heal them. In fact, Jesus was their last chance at getting back a normal life. They believed the stories. They believed the miracles. They believed in Jesus before they saw him. This is similar to our story. We hear about Jesus, about how he's changed someone's life or 
through his death provides us forgiveness and freedom. And then we begin to believe. How inspired do we get when we hear the stories of what Jesus is doing in other people's lives? It inspires us, right? It inspires us to come to Jesus with our situation. And that's what was happening. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now they're going back to the the temple, which it's 50 miles away from where they are. Now we don't know how quickly they experienced the healing. But I imagine the conversation going a little bit like this. Um, Hey, hey, do you, I mean, are you you getting that feeling again? Dude, me too. Like I'm walking with less pain. Man, hey, look at your, look at your face. I know you can't look at your face, but look at your face. Like you're, 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 things, you're looking normal. Dude, once I go show myself to the priest, I am going back home and I'm going to hug and kiss my wife. See, here's the thing. Obedience prepares us for healing. Obedience prepares us for healing. We may not be experiencing healing because we are not aligned with what Jesus desires for us. There's a story of a man struggling with addiction. For years, he prayed that God would set him free from the addiction. During that time, his friend, who was dealing with the same addiction, was set free. He was frustrated. So he prayed, God, listen, why haven't you set me free and yet you set my friend free? And while he was praying, he felt God tell him, you still like it. He couldn't believe it. He missed it. He saw his free will was getting in the way of his prayer. So he asked God to help him stop liking the drug. And he was instantly delivered. When Jesus asks you and I to do something, we need to do it to experience healing. Going back to the story, one of them, when they saw that he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Here's the deal. Nine were satisfied too early with too little. They focused on the healing and not the healer. They were, they were, they were not heard praising God in a loud voice. They missed out on a moment that the Samaritan had with Jesus. It's been, fa- it's been found in a, in a study that kids between the ages of four to eight are less likely to feel a deep sense of gratitude if they thought they earned something because it was expected. The same kids had no desire to share or to give to others. However, when the same kids were randomly given the reward out of pure generosity by the giver, there was a greater emotional impact. The deeper the gratitude the deeper the generosity. Have you ever found yourself in that position? God provides you what you asked for, but you never thanked him. Perhaps you got so caught up in what you received that it blinded you from thanking him. Maybe you enjoyed it so much that it never crossed your mind to enjoy him and his presence. Here's something interesting. The Samaritan would not have been received in the temple in Jerusalem. 
most likely he was actually going on his way to his temple, which was still south. But he decided to turn around. When he received a miracle from a Jew, it didn't matter. He didn't care who knew. He thanked God loudly and publicly. Did you catch that the Samaritan didn't keep his distance with Jesus, a Jew? After his healing, he felt that he needed to go back, and he went back. He fell at Jesus' feet, thanking him. He experienced a change, and his heart was full. In some cultures, even today, if someone did something for you, you would show how thankful you were by sitting in front of their home or their hut and saying, I sit on the ground before you. Now, that wouldn't fly here in America. We're thinking, hey, listen, it's 6 o'clock. I'm going to spend the next two and a half hours in traffic. I mean, you're more than welcome to join me, but this isn't going to work in our culture. But the whole point of it is, is have you ever been in a place where you get so caught up in it, you never, you never give thanks? Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Remember that the nine were satisfied too early with too little. They missed out on this moment that the Samaritan had with Jesus, the Messiah. They would go to the priest for verification in Jerusalem. An offering was performed. One bird was killed over running water, and the other bird was dipped in bloody water and then released. The leper was then sprinkled seven times with the bloody water. One died so that the other could live. Then the person healed with leprosy shaved their hair, waited eight days with additional offerings, and then they could return back to normal. The Samaritan received so much more than a verification from a priest. He received spiritual healing from the Messiah and was told to go because his faith made him well. This was the same thing that Jesus told the woman who anointed his feet. Your faith has made you well. See the miracle? For the nine, got in the way of seeing the Messiah. And this was a sign. This miracle was a sign of the, of the days to come. As Israel accepted his miracles, but they rejected Jesus as the Messiah which opened up the invitation for the foreigners, for the non-Jews, for the Samaritans, for us, to accept Jesus as king. Gratitude requires something. It requires humility. Gratitude means more when we don't deserve it. And we, we all know that. It's hard sometimes to see how God has blessed and provided for us. If we're so focused on what we don't have, we don't thank Him for what we do have. And this is what makes thanks a curious case. Remember Betsy and and her sister Corey? (laughs) Remember how Betsy pushed her sister to be thankful for the fleas? (laughs) Well, Corey gave in and she prayed to God, thanking him even for the fleas. Over the next several months, 
an amazing but curious thing happened. They found the guards never entering their barracks. And this meant that the women were not assaulted, removed, and killed. It also meant that they were able to do the unthinkable. Hold open Bible studies and prayer meetings in the heart of a Nazi concentration camp. And through this, countless numbers of women came to faith in Christ. Only at the end did they discover why the guards had left them alone and would not enter into their barracks. It was because of the fleas. So two questions. How does obedience to God prepare you for healing or the thing you've been praying for? And then, like Betsy, what do you have that you need to thank him for? What do you have that you need to thank him for? Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this incredible story from the life of Jesus. And we also thank you for this uh, amazing story from a Nazi concentration camp that we are able to hear that they had an open Bible study in the middle of the camp. And many were drawn to you. We thank you for the story of the one that came back and gave thanks. Father, remind us that everything we have is a gift from you. Remind us to be thankful. Remind us to give thanks. Remind us to slow down enough to enjoy you, the giver, the healer, the provider. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful that you pursued a relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.